Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Still nothing else, Amari. Every week I just pause just a little bit just to see if you're going to add something. Well, I was going to see if you were going to bring up uh I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. Well, I'll bring up Michigan State. Uh, Tuck's still coming good win yesterday. I, I don't know if Tuck's coming to see it or not. I'm just being facetious. It may not be to 2023. I was actually at that game, so maybe I need to go to more games this season to help him out a little bit. All right, we got a new rating and review, and I want to lead off the episode with this, Omari, because we do appreciate everybody that gives us those ratings, that drops a review and spends the time to write those out. So again, reach out. Please leave us a rating. It helps us grow. This is from Barry Tree 3 and they put, hands down, best Pistons podcast. Great insight into the Pistons team. Love listening to Omari and Bryce. I enjoy hearing all the inside scoop while I'm living in Nashville. Pure fire. Appreciate it, Barry Tree 3 A lot more coming now that we have the regular season starting off Wednesday, uh, which, which seems crazy. Uh, seems like training camp lasted two months for some reason. But a lot of great stuff coming up, so keep giving us your feedback, everyone. You know we love it. Uh, we're excited to get into some actual actual games here. So uh, keep it coming, y'all. Again, reach out whatever platform you listen to or have access to or whatever it is. Leave those ratings. Help us grow. And we will talk about the game on Wednesday against Orlando Magic, a couple more this week as well. But first, we got to recap the preseason, Amari. And unfortunately, since we last recorded, the Pistons and the organization did suffer an injury. Wasn't quite as bad as what everybody thought initially, which is you know, it's, it's hard to say good news, but I guess uh, Marvin Bagley III ended up getting good news in that it wasn't an ACL or anything more. Bone bruise and sprained MCL on his right knee, reevaluated after three to four weeks of recovery. Not a, a great scenario for Marvin Bagley III, but better than uh, maybe what the worst case scenario was. Whenever you see a player uh, kind of slip and fall the way he did, uh, knee bent at an awkward angle, a lot of people fear uh, ACL, you know, sprain, tear, whatever it may be, which many think ACL related is going to have a much longer recovery time. So I think it just sucks from the standpoint of uh, just a, a, a big man depth standpoint. And we talk about the importance of a lob threat and Bagley will be reevaluated in a few weeks. So, you know, whether he's back by Thanksgiving or uh, maybe a little bit before that, we'll have to see because reevaluate is not the same as return uh, we've seen reevaluation days come and go and then the player still has a few more weeks ahead of them so uh, that's the tbd of course uh, that's also an opportunity for Jalen duran uh there's no well once he gets healthy because he hasn't he didn't play any preseason games so uh, a lot of injuries right now <laughs> so uh, i think ideally for the pistons maybe bagley will be the last one to return and they'll get some of these other guys back in time for the regular season there not too long after. I think it's important and you mentioned it that is reevaluation for Marvin Bagley in three to four weeks so uh, you know it, it could be longer than that maybe he gets reevaluated and then he's back within a week maybe it's another two or three weeks and this is the same thing we've talked about with Alec Burks Omari I, I don't remember exactly when that reevaluation is for him Obviously, we're getting really close to opening night coming up on Wednesday. And at time of recording, I don't know that that reevaluation has happened. So it doesn't look to me like Alec Burks is going to be ready to play opening night, maybe even the first week. So it is important to note, you know, those reevaluation dates don't mean return dates at all. We'll have to see when Alec Burks, uh, who will be reevaluated uh, daily Monday or Tuesday, uh, season starts Wednesday. So maybe some news will have come out on that by the time. People are listening to this pod. Maybe not. No, we'll, we will see. But also tough. And, you know, we'll talk about the season a little bit. But I think just you look at those first 10 games and there are some difficult opponents. And you're going to be without Bagley. You may not have Alec Burks. Uh, just a lot of the depth they had over the offseason has been depleted. So, uh, you know, I think just from a, a, ro- a rotation standpoint, that will make certain things tough. Just Marvin Bagley being an offensive spark plug that I think the team really need. And then... Uh, that backcourt floor spacing you get from Alec Burks. So not ideal, but, you know, again, I think Burks will probably be back before Bagley. So it's just a matter of when. And that big man depth is interesting, right? We always get on here in the in the 
the joke is that Troy Weaver loves his bigs or his centers or whatever. And so everybody spent all offseason, you know, myself included. How are all these bigs going to get on the floor? Well, Kelly Olenek gets traded. Noel is practicing, but we haven't seen him play. Marvin Bagley, as we've talked about, is out for a while. And now all of a sudden Braxton Key was playing the five in the second unit during preseason games. So, And it is an opportunity for Jalen Duran. So let's start there. We saw him these preseason I think he did miss one game with a shoulder injury or I don't know exactly what it was but what did you think about Jalen Duran's minutes I know I joked with you on Twitter that he had uh, so many points and rebounds in what 21 minutes I was like man maybe your 2020 prediction isn't that far off yeah I mean he's just naturally uh you know f- physically gifted which I think was a big appeal to film uh being one of the top lottery talents as far as bigs go in this draft and I think he's been good just in the sense that he's doing the things you know he can do, uh, whether it's just cleaning up, uh, you know, missed layups. Uh, he's had some some putbacks. Uh, he had double-digit rebounds in all three preseason games he played, which is good to see. There's still some stuff he had, just has to, like, learn. We saw breaking mistakes. Uh, you know, there may be some times he could have been more aggressive getting to the rim, and he settled for short jumpers, or I think he took a hook over uh, Poku last Tuesday. Uh, just like small stuff, and I think in the grass game, you just want to see him uh, provide that energy, uh, show what he could do on defense. Uh, he has some some good blocks in preseason, I think. And he's just so young that I think anything you get from him uh, that's productive this season is an overall win. Uh, he doesn't turn 19 until November, and we're going to say that, I think, a lot of the next month or so. But uh, for a guy that young, I thought it was a pretty encouraging performance overall. Yeah, I feel like we're going to continue to refer to him as the youngest player in the NBA a lot just to continue to remind people. Foul trouble was something with Jalen Dern. It really was something with this team in general. It's something they're going to have to get better at defensively. I don't know that we'll talk about it on this episode, the defensive scheme in general. We've talked about it some. We saw a lot of switching in the preseason. We actually saw in in the final game, game four, they did a little bit more drop coverage. Looked like they even tried to ice a couple ball screens. Interested to see what they do on Wednesday night. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But I want to talk about fellow rookie Jaden Ivey. What did we think about him overall in the preseason? These are some of the things we can take away, Omari, is individual play in the preseason. I loved what we saw from Jaden Ivey, and I love that people are giving him credit for I don't, again, he's not a high-level passer, but for what he creates for teammates because he gets into the lane just so much. I agree. I think he was, for the most part, as as advertised. I did tweet uh, during that last game on Thursday that his passing has been better than expected, and I think a lot of people watching him agree with that, but also the Pistons, too. I've been uh, encouraged by just how well he's moved the ball. I think just from a pure assist-to-turnover ratio, probably not quite where you want it to be for somebody who has a ball in his hands as much as he does. But I think just the fact that he kept his hands, his, his head up, he already knows how to weaponize his driving to find open teammates. Uh, really, he should have had more assists. The business missed a lot of open threes. So, um, you know, I think his assistance to turnover ratio in preseason is probably a bit misleading because I could think of probably four or five threes that uh, his teammates should have hit that they just didn't. So, but you should look at overall, the way he got to the rim, the way he drives, he draws four or five eyes every single time he drives. Um, he has some nice finishes. I think those are all reasons why he was drafted where he was drafted. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball very well. Um, he did not. His defense was okay. I thought it was good at times, and sometimes technique-wise it wasn't that great, so that's a, a teaching point for him. Offensively, he just has some, some stuff to figure out, I think. But I talked to Dwayne on Thursday, actually, and I asked him, when teammates begin to knock down more shots, uh, when he's rewarded more for those driving kicks, like get his teammates wide open, if that'll kind of help some of the issues he had getting to the rim and kind of getting locked in space to say, and Dwayne said he does, he did that to kind of correct himself over time. So uh, I think more good than bad from Jaden Ivey overall. Uh, we knew the shooting would be a question mark. We knew the defense would be a question mark, but just getting downhill and getting teammates open on the perimeter uh, is something that's going to help the team a lot, even if he's not necessarily hitting shots early on. I mean, the three-point shooting, let's sit there for just a second, Omari. Braxton Key was 50%, Kevin Knox 50%, Isaiah Stewart 39% on 18 attempts, Killian actually made 5 of 14, 36%, but I don't think we believe these numbers are going to stay true through the season. So let me throw out these guys. Boyan, 5 of 16, 31%. Isaiah Livers, 3 of 10. Sadiq Bey, 8 of 27, under 30%. Cade Cunningham, 5 of 23, under 22%. And then Jade Nabi went 2 of 14, 14%. Obviously, he may struggle a little bit 
if those are the three-point shooting numbers for some of those individuals, this team is going to have a long road offensively. I just don't think that those are going to stay true through the entire regular season. And I think a lot of players are going to look better. Assist numbers are going to look better. The offense is going to look better. Because I don't know how you felt, but I thought we were creating, I thought the team was creating some really good opportunities. And like you said, Sadiq Bay shooting 30% from three. Uh, Kate Cunningham shooting about 22% from three. Uh, Bogdanovic shooting 31%. Uh, all those numbers are going to tick up. Like I, I would be really, really shocked if <laughs> um, Bogdanovic and Sadiq Bay both crack, fail to crack 34%. And I think for Bogdanovic, you're probably, you know, assuming it'll be closer to 37, 38, 39 in that range. Uh, K, I mean, again, he shot 31 last year, which wasn't great, but 22% I think is just absurdly low for someone who could very clearly shoot threes. So some of that would tick up naturally. Um, you did mention Isaiah Stewart uh, shooting seven for 18, which is 39%. I think if the Pistons see him do that this year, they will be That's a thrilled. Win. Uh, that, is, that, that is a huge win. And I do think that his three-point shooting is legitimate, even if it may not be 39%. I think even if it falls to 33, 34, and he's taken two or three a game, uh, which he kind of averaged during preseason, uh, maybe take more than that. I think that's pretty good for him. I think 34% on decent volume would – you know, establish him as a three-point threat, which is what you want to see from him this season. Um, and he just looks good. Like, I like I don't think there's any reason why he should be able to sustain it over the course of the year. I like that he went four for 10 against the Memphis Grizzlies and they kept leaving them open. And uh, he just kept taking them and shot himself into a rhythm. Uh, that's exactly what you want to happen. That was a good, I think, uh, stress test for him as far as that. So overall, like, I think they should be a decent three-point shooting team this year. Like, I don't know if they'll be you know, top 12 or top 14, but I think they'll be a lot better than the 32.6% they shot last year. I just think there's just too much raw shooting ability on this roster for them to be as bad as they were last year. Of course, we've talked about Alex Burks already and he didn't get a play in the preseason, but he should improve that number as well. It's actually four and a half attempts, Amari, if mm-hmm. my math is correctly in the preseason for Isaiah Stewart, three point attempts per game. So I've tried to brush up on my math since last episode <laughs> where you where you were showing off and, and uh, editor Kirkland Crawford gave you a shout out in our email thread. But I, I was impressed as well in that Grizzlies game. I thought that was a good Lippman test for him to see, okay, you, I don't know what he started, 0 of 3, 0 of 4, and one was a pretty bad air ball, and the Grizzlies were legit not guarding him. Steven Adams was just standing in the lane. Brandon Clark was just standing in the lane, and Isaiah Stewart kept shooting. He knocked him down. I put out a Twitter video, if you guys want to go check it out, of some other things he can do to counter that at Motor City Hoops, but... Even more than that, people kept saying, well, if nobody's going to respect, if he makes a couple big shots in an important game, people are going to respect it, Omari. If he's shooting four a game, making them at 35%, people are going to respect it. If he can hit it in clutch moments, people are going to respect it, and they're not going to be able to guard him that way. And if they do, then other guys are going to get open looks as I you know, broke down in that video. So I, I, I'm bought in. I'm fully bought into it. I think you are as well. We've heard the organization talk about it. And I think this is going to be a huge development for Isaiah Stewart and the team. I mean, this has been part of his developmental plan uh, since he was drafted. So uh, I know a lot of times online, uh, we see people talk about the three-point shooting. And I think if you just go strictly off of the games, it may look a bit haphazard how he's been encouraged to shoot at the end of seasons, but not at the beginnings of seasons. And uh, Like this has been the plan uh, pretty much since the start. I think we will see just a lot of positive domino effects uh, once defenses do begin to respect that shot because realistically he's probably their only front court player this season who will be any sort of three-point threat you know unless Marvin Bagley gets there and Marvin didn't take as many threes during preseason so no um, maybe we could just put that as a, a a TBD but I just think Isaiah Stewart is probably a bit further along in that area than Bagley is right now uh, but it's going to be good it's going to be really good for him it's going to be good for the Pistons I think you look at Jaden Ivey and we're going to talk about him um, but just having a big who could he could pick and pop with uh you know he'll he'll draw those running clarks those um Steven Adams uh types out of the lane and that'll create be- better licks for Ivy and other players to get to the rim uh, also shout out to Sadiq Bay he took uh, 21 free throws uh, during preseason and actually that the team and I think that that's a positive development for him too because uh, we saw last year when he filled in for Jeremy Grant uh, he was able to replicate some of that some of that rim pressure you get from Grant not quite as much but I thought that kind of made up for some of the inaccuracy he had overall. But yeah, Zia Stewart, three-point shooting, a good good sign for him, good sign for the Pistons. Long term will make him a much more 
effective player on offense. Well, like we said, it allows him to play with another big, which helps with matchups. And we'll talk about that when we talk about playing the Orlando Magic, when we talk about playing the New York Knicks, some of the matchups early in the season for the Pistons and being able to match up with the lineups those teams can put out there, the Orlando Magic, who can go super, super big. But before we get to any of that, I want to talk about Killian Hayes, Omari. I was really encouraged by what we've seen from Killian Hayes. He didn't play in the fourth preseason game. Again, the efficiency was up and down with him. The first couple of games, not very efficient at all. But kind of the same thing as we talked about with Stu, right? With the misses and then he kept shooting. Killian would miss shots. Killian had turnovers, but Killian stayed aggressive. He's getting the shots you want him to take. Maybe a few more three-pointers than what you would want. But as I mentioned, he actually shot 36% from three on 14 attempts. He was actually, strangely, not very good from the free throw line where he's usually pretty solid. But I really liked what we saw, the mentality from Killian Hayes. I really hope that carries over to the regular season. Like I thought we saw him be a lot more aggressive overall. We saw him be more willing to take those three-pointers. I think his jump shot does look better. And for him to get up uh, about five attempts per, per game, and he played three games, but... I think that's what you want for him. Uh, we've compared him. Well, I mean, I've, I've compared him to maybe Alonzo Ball type if he continues to develop where uh, he could push the pace and transition. He could probably be a better half-court creator than Lazo is. A uh, really good perimeter defender, but Lazo really has become a really good three-point shooter after not shooting it that well uh, early in his career. And if Killian, kind of like Isaiah, can get to like that 34% range, a pretty good volume, you'll see teams begin to respect that shot and that's going to pay off for him a lot, especially since I think his touch around the room and in that short mid range looks a bit better this season as well. So you want to see him continue to shoot. Uh, he needs to establish himself as an outside threat to be able to drive alongside Jaden Ivey or Kate Cunningham. But uh, it was a big off season for him trying to get that shot down. And uh, we did see it pay off a little bit during preseason. So uh, that's something you hope will carry over into the regular season on Wednesday. Well, what I think is really telling Amari, he was fourth in field goal attempts in the preseason, and he played one less game than all the guys above him. Cade, Ivy, and Sadiq all played four games. Killian only played three. And then he was second in assists. And we've talked about this on the podcast is the scoring mentality and looking to score is actually going to help open up his passing and how good he is as a passer because then teams can't just play him to pass all the time. I feel like that's what teams started to do was Killian would drive and then they would just stay home because they're like, he don't want to shoot that floater. He doesn't want to get all the way to the rim. He's not going to pull up and, and make that mid-range jumper, which I do think the mid-range look solid for him. So I think it opens up his all-around offensive game. So Fourth in field goal attempts, second in assists. I think that's huge development for Killian that we see going into the season. Hopefully playing against second units and with second units will help keep that confidence. And it will be interesting, though. I don't know if it's going to be Burks in the second unit with him when he's healthy, if it's going to be Kojo, if they stagger Jaden Ivey. You know, hopefully there's some closing lineups of him, Kate, and Ivey all together. But I'm really excited to see what we see from Killian and what is probably a make-or-break it year, at least with the Pistons organization. Yeah, and I also want to say I like that he took nine free throw attempts in three games. A few a good amount of those were and ones. So I think it just illustrated one that he's more willing to take contact at the room and that he can also you know finish through it. He has some. Uh, I thought he had some really good and one opportunities, and he took uh, 33 shots total in preseason, about 11 shots a game. Again, I just thought he did a lot to really show that. Uh, his mindset has shifted. And even if the efficiency wasn't that good, I think even just sort of setting the tone uh, for his third season would have been good. But, uh, you know, 5 of 15 from 3, uh, about 33%. Five, definitely an improvement over his previous two seasons, even though you want that to be a bit higher. Uh, but also, you know, he shot 14, 33 overall, uh, which is about 42%, which, again, not amazing, but also much better than what he shot the previous two years. So you want to see those positive strides forward, and we saw that during preseason. Let's talk about Cade Cunningham. And Amari, I want you to let any listeners know, do you have any worries at all about this man shooting 31% in the preseason overall, 22% from three, some turnovers, all of that? Like, Is there any concern? Like one to ten, what is your level of concern that Cade Cunningham isn't that guy? On a scale from one to ten, I would say – Maybe like a four. Okay. Which is like, I don't know if that's higher or lower. It's higher than I would have guessed. Yeah. I would say, you know, for Cade, I think his biggest issue last year was the lack of efficiency. Uh, you know, he's around, you know, 31% from three, 
from three and 41% from the field, which, uh, I mean, I think just the row he had with the Pistons was unlike any other rookie where, um, you know, defenses were keyed in entirely on him. No one else really took pressure off of him. And he was always going to have some adjustment issues just because of the way he plays the game anyway, uh, not being necessarily a plus-plus athlete, but just a good all-around, I think, athlete. So in preseason, you definitely want to see, you know, some signs of him just uh, being able to take a leap forward this season from an efficiency standpoint, and that did not happen. Um, I think the other side of that is it's preseason, and, you know, I, I don't think he was as aggressive as he normally is as a scorer. Like, he picked his spots a lot more. And we've also seen Kate as the type of player where whenever he came back from an injury last year, whether it was that ankle injury that cost him preseason and training camp, and I think he missed like 20 of his first 21 three-pointers, which, you know, a lot of people were worried then. And then it turns out he was like fine. It was just a really cold start. And then he came back from, uh, I think he had like a hip pointer or something around All-Star weekend. And he was a little slow when he came back from that, but then kind of picked it up. Uh, I think whenever he is like working his way back into a rhythm, uh, he just it just takes a while for him to do that. And that's why I'm not reading too far into preseason because I think it was just him like getting comfortable trying to find chemistry with his new teammates. So I'm not worried as a whole, but I think just because he's in a place in his career where he has to show that he is the guy uh, from the shoot that poorly, you know, does not do that. So that's why I'm at a four right now. And if this continues into the regular season for a few weeks, then maybe that goes up a bit higher. But right now I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt because I don't think he'll be anywhere close to that that he finished this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I'm at. If you see this for 10, 15 games to start the regular season, I do think there are some worries, right? Because there's not the off-season ankle injury. He got a full training camp. He got four preseason games. So ideally, Cade hits the ground running on Wednesday night against the Magic going forward. And if we see 35% from the field and 25% from three and not getting to the free throw line and five turnover games, then there is a little bit like, okay, is it a sophomore slump? Is there something bigger here? I just don't believe that. Maybe I just believe in Cade so much and I also thought his approach Amari was very just laid back I'm gonna let Jaden Ivey get going I'm gonna let Killian Hayes get going we saw flashes where he tried to take over I want to ask you about the bigger picture from the Pistons I didn't feel like I don't know the right way to phrase this I didn't feel like the Pistons placed a ton of value on these preseason games in terms of necessarily winning these games to me Dwayne Casey was playing with lineups. He was playing with rotations. They weren't running a lot of sets. I, 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 what, what was your, what's your feel for kind of how Casey and the organization approached these preseason games? What was it due to the injuries? Maybe that's why it kind of changed the vibe for how they approached the four games. The injuries maybe affected some of their plans as far as just getting everybody on the same page. Um, when you don't have Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks, it could be two key rotation guys this year. Um, when you have, you know, Isaiah Livers play two games, um, you know, Kevin Knox it took a while to come back and he looked good in the one game he did play, but only played one game. Um, there's just a lot of uh, missing information. I think that would take them some time to gather uh, just because the four preseason games really weren't enough for them to maybe uh, check all the boxes they wanted to as far as just how all the pieces fit. And then we also saw some experimentation. We saw the two big lineups, obviously, with Jalen Duran playing alongside Bagley and Isaiah Stewart. But then Bagley gets hurt, so you already don't have Nerlens as well. So sort of the two-big-man experimentation uh, kind of went by the wayside as well. So there's still a lot of missing information, I think. Uh, also, just very quick aside, but uh, you know, I know a lot of people do like – daily fantasy sports and I like the tax of beat writers. How many minutes do you think, you know, X player will play or this and that. And sometimes I get responses that are just kind of, you know, cheeky. And I know some people evaluate beat writers solely on uh, how best they helped them in daily fantasy sports. But when I say, I don't know, like, again, like I don't think I would have expected Braxton Key to play <laughs> the five, um, you know, against the Grizzlies last week. You know, I probably would have guessed Isaiah Stewart or Jalen Duran would have played big minutes, but Duran gets into foul trouble. And then instead of just playing Isaiah Stewart 30 minutes in the preseason game, Dwayne said, let's just give Braxton Key some run there. Stuff like that that you can't really predict. So, um, you know, again, I don't think we'll probably have a good feel for where rotation is until uh, maybe a few weeks into November once the roster gets to full health and some of that evaluation is 
finally complete it. I was fine with the approach they took. I just feel, I feel like I needed to bring it up because I feel like some of the fan base was like, they should be approaching every single one of these games like it's a regular season game and full scouting reports and a full game plan and, you know, the starting rotation with the normal rotation. And one, the injuries didn't allow that. Isaiah Livers missed time. Marvin Bagley, Jalen Duran, Killian set out a game. Burks isn't around. Boyan missed a game or two. So uh, for one, you weren't going to get a consistent rotation anyway. And I was okay that they just kind of, I I don't know, coasted sounds wrong. Like it sounds like it's a super negative. I just think they used them for what they wanted, which maybe wasn't what we all wanted to see. And I think we'll see a completely different approach on Wednesday night. That's all I'm saying. And that's why I wanted to ask you, you know, being around the team a little bit more, if you got a little bit of a vibe of kind of just how they were approaching those four games and what they were trying to get out of them. Yeah, I think just a lot of experimentation, a lot of allowing players to kind of work some rest off. But yeah, mostly when you have a team that on paper is supposed to have the best stuff to see inside in a few seasons and a lot of those players that are missing games, it kind of gives you an incomplete picture. So I think early on we saw, especially them going pretty hard on like the two big lineups because they do want to be able to play Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley uh, next to maybe more traditional athletic rim protector types. Uh, which makes sense long, long term, especially for Isaiah Stewart. Um, but I think, yeah, the flip side of that is a lot of players couldn't play. So there's a lot of, you know, aspects of the picture that's incomplete. Like towards the end of that Grizzlies game, we saw like Braxton Key, you know, some of the G League guys could extend it run. We're not going to see that during the regular season. So to a certain extent, yeah, there's still a lot that needs to be figured out. And Wednesday night, hopefully we start to get some of those answers. So when we come back from this short break, we will talk about opening night against the Orlando Magic. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back here, and we are about to talk for the first time in several months about a regular season basketball game. Finally! It's been a long time coming. So uh, I think on paper this will be a fun game. Uh, You have the last two number one picks and Paolo Bencaro and Kate Cunningham. I think the Orlando Magic and the the Pistons are in pretty similar boats as far as being a few years into uh, full rebuilds. They both had a lot lot of lottery picks over the years, and – I think one of these teams will be in a play-in race. I don't think both of them will be, uh, just the way the East is looking. So I think Wednesday will be a pretty good preview for which team that is. And maybe Orlando has an advantage because they're, I think, a little bit healthier than the Pistons are right now. But uh, it'll be a fun game. I think anytime you have a game uh, with like two teams like this who are sort of in the same boat, really only a handful of teams in the NBA that are kind of caught in between just starting a rebuild and like, not quite being in like that playing race. You know, maybe if you're not a Pistons or Magic fan, this game doesn't have a lot of in- intrigue, but I think it'll be a fun one. So real quick, Amar, who do you think finishes with a better record this season? Call your shot, Pistons or Magic? Yeah, people are going to dump on me for this. Uh, I actually think Orlando might end up with a better record. I think uh, just Franz Wagner has looked fantastic in preseason. He looked really good overseas this season. Um, I think Paolo Bancaro just being a player who kind of reminds me of, of Carmelo Anthony in some ways. Maybe not quite the shooter Carmelo was, but Definitely a better playmaker and just, you know, he's 6'10", uh, you know, can really work inside, great ball handler. Uh, but I think he's going to have a really, really great rookie season, and I think he'll be one of those guys where you kind of look at what he can't do, but then he actually plays basketball, and it's like, oh, he could he's so good at doing everything else that, you know, maybe we knocked him too hard for uh, maybe being a tad slow or not being the best shooter. Um, I think Janice Suggs will have a, a better sophomore season, and I think he's a little banged up right now, but... 
I was pretty high on him coming out of Gonzaga. And then just for the, the Pistons, I think, especially for all the injuries that they've had, uh, they may have a slow start to the season, which could end up costing them toward the end. Which in the grass game, like, I didn't have them make the playoffs anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But Orlando may have a bit more momentum to start, and I may just carry them through the season. So I'm actually going to go for Orlando having a better record. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough start for the Pistons. The schedule actually gets easier towards the end, which who knows where they'll be in position at the end and whether they're necessarily trying to win games or not. This is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, it'll be interesting who the Magic start. Omari is actually looking before we recorded. Their final preseason game, they started, I believe it was Cole Anthony, and then they went Wagner at the two, Bancaro at the three, and then Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. in the front court. So they went super big. I don't know if they'll do that on Wednesday or not. And even if they do, the Pistons can't really match up with that. But do you think this is a game where I know they can't start Marvin Bagley the third? Do you think we see the the starting lineup we would normally see from Dwayne Casey of Cade, Ivy, Bay, Boyan, and Stu? Or do you think he goes... I don't know, Stu and Duran. I don't know if Noel's going to be ready for Wednesday. Does he try to go big to match up with that front court of Bancaro and Wendell Carter Jr.? I think if I had to guess now, I would say that that first starting ground up, you mentioned uh, Sadiq Boyan, Isaiah Stewart in the front court, and then Cade and Ivy in the back court would probably be what we see. Uh, I think just the foul trouble that Jalen Duran's had, you know, if I'm coach, I'm probably not going to start him. I'm going to bring him off the bench and let him get some working against the second unit to start. Like you said, we don't know if Nerlens will be available for that game. So that'll, I think, dictate a lot of it. And obviously they want out Marvin Bagley. So, yeah, I think they just go with those five to start. Uh, maybe Sadiq, you know, you can match them up next to Franz a little bit. And neither of those guys are the quickest. So maybe that's a, a, uh, a matchup that will be good for Sadiq defensively. And that's where I'm at right now. No, if Nerlens is healthy or... You know, maybe throughout the week, some things will change and master will change. But right now, I think you just start Sadiq, Boyan, and Isaiah Stewart in that front court. Yeah, I mean, I think that Bay-Wagner matchup is going to be really interesting. Wagner, like you mentioned, had a really good offseason. People really, really high on him right now. And obviously, we you know, a big season for Sadiq Bay as well to see if he can take another jump. Who do you think wins that matchup on Wednesday? I'm really interested to see Sadiq Bay. I've been a little bit critical of his defense on the perimeter and I'm really interested to see how well he does guarding Wagner. I would also be really intrigued to see him match up with Paulo Bancaro. I've made the argument I think Sadiq Bey's best position is actually at the four, and I think someone like Paulo is a really good matchup for him. So this will be a really good game to kind of judge Sadiq Bey's defense going against Wagner, possibly Paulo Bancaro as well. I agree. Uh, I think defensively, you could probably put Sadiq with either of those guys, and feel okay about it. Um, and I think maybe defensively, those are the types of players that long-term he will be better against because he's not the quickest in the perimeter. And we saw it last season as well, but defensively, he may be a little bit more of a four uh, where you want to play in the side a little bit more. Uh, but you could also put Isaiah Stewart, I think, on uh, Ben Carroll, and I probably feel pretty good about it as well. And I would actually love to see that matchup for Isaiah Stewart because if you could put him on those big blind handlers like that, and he can hold his own, then that solves a lot of problems for you down the road. And we talk about, you know, him switching and whatnot, but also just being able to, you know, defend those big ball handling fours, I think will uh, be a really good limit test for him as well. I'm excited to see that from Stu. I, I think that would be a really good matchup for him on Ben Carroll. I think where the Pistons really have to win this game, Amari, is in the backcourt. Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey have to outplay Cole Anthony and Terrence Ross. Right now for the Magic, I believe Markel Fultz is still out. Gary Harris had a knee injury in the offseason, so he's not playing. I think this is a place where the Pistons could have an advantage. We talked about Cade Cunningham's slow preseason. We talked about some of the stuff with Jaden Ivey. I think this is a game where both of those guys can be really aggressive, be really good. Obviously, Jalen Suggs off the bench is really good defensively. I don't know that Cole Anthony or Terrence Ross are either known for their defense. So this is a game where that backcourt could really get it going offensively for the Pistons. Yeah, I think on paper, uh, the Pistons should win that matchup. Uh, Cole Anthony is a really small guard. Uh, I mean, defensively, he can't really match up against Ivy or Cade Cunningham. Uh, Terrence Ross is Terrence Ross. He can heat up. and You know, he might go off for 30. Who knows? He might go off for 13. <laughs> um, you know, he's a little bit of a wild card, I think, offensively. But again, like not necessarily a top tier defensive guy. Uh, so the Pistons BK to BK, that goes without saying. And I think if Jaden Ivey can show me show it during preseason as far as moving the ball, getting into the lane, getting to the free throw line, uh, anything else beyond that I think is gravy. But 
on paper, I would certainly favor the Pistons winning that backward matchup. So the Pistons also have two more games this week. They'll actually go back-to-back with the Knicks on Friday and the Pacers on Saturday. Any thoughts on those two games? Obviously, we saw the Knicks in the preseason Jalen Brunson, newly there. They got an interesting little roster. The Pacers are a team in a really interesting position, Omari, because are they going to tank? What are they going to do with Miles Turner and Buddy Hield? Uh, They drafted my guy, Benedict Matherin. That'll be a really fun backcourt matchup of Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin versus Cade and Jaden Ivey. Uh, either of those matchups kind of intrigue you a little bit more than the other. I think the Pacers one intrigues me a bit more because like Orlando, I think they're in the same boat as the Pistons where uh, you have Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, uh, you know, to, I think, well, for Halliburton at least, uh, one of the NBA's best young guards. And then Matherin, I mean, we talked about him before the draft a lot, but we're both really high on him. And I think we both think that he'll be a firmly above average shooting guard uh, when it all comes together. Uh, so I think that's probably more intriguing for me just because that is a better game. That's a litmus test for uh, where the Pistons are in the rebuild. Can they beat the Orlando Magics and the Indiana Pacers or are those games coin flips? Uh, I think the New York Knicks, uh, I mean, they obviously thoroughly had up the Pistons in, in preseason, but uh, they're just more experienced. I think they have more talent at the top. And that might be a sneaky good team this season. I think Jalen Brunson solves a lot of problems for them. And we're still at that far removed from Julius Randle's breakout season. So last year was a bit of a step back, but he's got a little bit more help this year. Uh, maybe RJ Barrett has a, a, a mini leap in him. I think that's a pretty good team. Even if they're like a playing team in the East, they could be like a 44-1 playing team. On paper, that's probably not a great matchup for the Pistons, but especially with it being a road game at Madison Square Garden. Uh, to me, I think I'm a little bit more intrigued by the Indiana game just because that's a little bit more of a realistic win for Detroit. Yeah, and I'm excited for that too, to just see how they would play on the second of a back-to-back, right? A young team, how do they handle that? Playing you know, at Madison Square Garden and then playing the Pacers the next night in a game that, again, that hopefully they can get a win and, and is a litmus test for where they're at compared against some of these other rebuilding teams. I know the Pacers are in a little bit different position because they're still in limbo, have a couple players that you know are probably going to get moved. So before we record next week, we will finally get some games, right? So next Tuesday, we're going to get a breakdown, actual meaningful regular season basketball. So I'm going to put you on the spot with a few things, Amari, and I'll answer this as well. When we record the episode next week, when we drop this next Tuesday, what are the Detroit Pistons record going to be? They will play those three games. Their next, their game after that is on Tuesday. So they'll play that after we drop the episode. So those three games, Magic, Knicks, Pacers. I think they'll be one and two. I think they'll be the Magic or the Pacers, not both, and then they will probably lose against the Knicks. So one and two feels safe to me, but maybe best case scenario, you get two of those games. But I'm sticking with one and two. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think they're going to be one and two as well. Uh, the the same situation. The Knicks, I assume, will come out. You know, they're playing for a lot this year. They have some expectations, and you assume they'll be ready to go here to start the season. So I'm going to go one and two as well. They get the Magic or the Pacers. I want to go through just some of the statistical stuff. So who's leading this team in points next Tuesday when we record? Who, who's dropped the most points through three games? Kate Cunningham. Yeah, Kay. he's going to take the most shots, and he's probably the best pure scorer on the roster right now. So that feels like a pretty safe bet. I feel like Boyan is a sneaky pick for a lot of people to, uh, you know, maybe not lead the team in scoring, but definitely be right there. And I could see some people thinking maybe he has the most points, you know, in a three-game stretch. Obviously, very small sample size. We're not talking the whole season, but I I don't know that I see it with Boyan. I think Cade and Sadiq are still the guys that are going to take the most shots this season with Jaden Ivey right there as well. I think so. And I think Boyan, like you said, even if he's not leading the team in scoring, I think his efficiency will be really good. uh, I think, especially with Barber being up over the next month or so, uh, I think him and Sadiq will probably be uh, two and three in some order in Detroit's packing order. So Boyan should be up there. What about assists? Who's leading the team through three games in assists? Kate Cunningham. <laughs> uh, I think he'll have the most assist opportunities. And, um, well, you may be able to argue that Killian is probably just a uh, better raw passer. I think Kay is just an overall better playmaker. Uh, I could definitely see him averaging around seven assists a game this season, which I don't know if anyone else on the roster cracks six, so I'm going with Kate. 
I'm going to go with Jay Nivey, man. I think okay. Jay Nivey is going to do it through three games. He's going to find these guys. And guys are going to knock down shots, and he's going to lead the team in assists. Not for the whole season, not for the whole season, but we're talking a three-game sample, and we will, we'll talk about these real quick to start next week's episode. And then finally, rebounds. I don't know that – I assume you would go Jalen Duran, but I don't know that either of us believe he's going to get enough minutes to do that. So who's leading the team in rebounds next Tuesday? Yeah, another safe pick, Isaiah Stewart. You know, I think he's probably going to consistently get you about eight, nine a game. Maybe if Bagley were healthy, I'd go with Marvin Bagley. But I think Isaiah Stewart's probably – well, I'm saying that now. I'm also considering the fact that Jalen Duren's like, per-minute rebound rate was <laughs> astronomical during preseason. So, you know, if he continues to grab 14 rebounds in middle 21 minutes or whatever – uh, you know, okay, I take that back. I'm gonna go with Jalen Duran. I'll talk myself okay. to Jalen Duran. I'll talk myself to Jalen Duran. All right, I like it. I'll go with Isaiah Stewart then to okay. give Beef Stew some love. So, all right, we'll we'll revisit those next weeks again. I'm excited. We finally get to talk these regular season games. But first, to finish off this episode, we're going to give some in-season superlatives. We're going to bring Wes on. He's going to give these to me and Omari, and we're going to give the best answers we have. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Here we are, and we're just going to do some superlatives, and we're going to, I think we have about 10, 12 categories here, uh, just our predictions for the season. So uh, we're going to bring Wes on. Wes, what's up, man? Nothing much. Excited for some uh, actual basketball, so the preseason stuff. So ready to get going. Um, But with these superlatives, what we're going to do, I'm going to read off the title, and then you guys are both going to pick the player that you think fits that by the end of the season, and we'll go through all of them. Uh, and then just to keep it simple, why don't we do, uh, Omari, you answer first, then Bryce every time. All right? Sound good? No work. Yep. All right. Sweet. So, first one, most likely to underachieve. All right. This is not going to be. Yes, I was hoping you were going to. I know who you're going to go with, and I was hoping that because this is going to make it worse for you than for me. No, it's not. Um, I would say, and this is not necessarily because of the quality of season I think they'll have, but I think just the expectations that have been set. So I think, hey, Cunningham, like he has the highest expectations. I think he has the most room uh, for error as far as meeting those expectations. And even if he comes out next season and he averages like a good 18, 6, and 5, right, with on solid efficiency, which I think is a perfectly fine season. You know, if you're a fan and you want to see him kind of leap into like that Jason Tatum category, uh, you know, 18, 6, and 5, and I cut it for you, even if that's still a pretty good overall season. So I think I think Kate Cunningham is just like the right the right pick here, just because he has the highest ceiling to get to. And depending on expectations, he may not get there. So So I was thinking about this this morning because I know I'm going to take heat for my answer. I was like, you know what? I I think I could see Omari going with Cade Cunningham. And then you gave that, you know, scale of one to 10. You gave a four. I'm like, he's definitely going with Cade Cunningham. I'm going to say Sadiq Bey. And this is entirely based on fans and where they think Sadiq is going to go. This has nothing to do with my own expectations. I think Sadiq is probably going to meet the expectations I have for him. But I think a lot of fans think he's going to, you know, be one of the best scorers in the NBA, all around scorers. And I just don't see that with Sadiq so I think he's most likely to underachieve in terms of what the fan base wants kind of like what you went there Omari with Cade Cunningham I think Sadiq's going to be perfectly fine I think he's gonna be a really good player I think I'm going to be happy with his game all year but I don't know that he's going to reach the heights that along a lot of the fan base thinks and I think that's fair too I see a lot of hype for Sadiq as far as him uh, getting closer to being a Chris Middleton type Um, you know I think some fans can see him averaging around 20 a game on good efficiency now, I'm not saying he can't, but I think if I had to name a player after Cade, it would have been Sadiq. I don't know if – well, I know that people probably don't have as high expectations for him as Cade. So, I'm thinking about Cade for my answer. But, yeah, Sadiq is definitely up there because I do think people want him to 
uh, so that he could be like that secondary option. And Mike Cade, his efficiency is going to have to get a lot better for him to fulfill that that expectation. Yeah, before I send it back to US, I do want to mention Killian Hayes only made this list for me because of what he showed in the preseason. And I know I talked a lot about it, so maybe I'm guilty of this. But I think because of the preseason, there are high expectations again for Killian. And if he reverts back to what we saw the first two seasons, he could end up in this really underachieving from what the, some of the fan base at least thought we may see this year. Yeah, no doubt. Worth a mention for sure. Um I think he has the most to prove as far as just showing that he can be a player that they can build around. And I think expectations for him probably have the most variance of anyone else on the roster uh, for the, the the Pistons fan base, which, you know, we both read our missions. So, you know, I think we probably are aligned on that one. Yes. Next one up, another most likely. So this one's most likely to be traded. I'm going to go Alec Burks. And I think you could make a very strong argument for Boyan Bogdanovic as well. Uh, but I think one... I think Alec Burks being on the books for about ten million next season, whereas Bogdanovic is on the book for nineteen million. I think Burks is just a little bit more movable uh, for that reason. Uh, he's a little bit younger, you know. He shoots the ball really well, obviously. And I think as far as maybe the Pistons having any positional log jams to uh, kind of clear out, uh, like let's say Hami's playing really well, obviously Ivy, Cunningham, and Killian are getting big minutes. Maybe you look at the backcourt situation and you say. Yeah, we know we can get a second-round pick and a, a decent young guy maybe for Alec Burks. That's worth doing. Uh, it wouldn't shock me to see Bogdanovic moved either, but you know, I think long-term, he has a better chance of sticking around. Um, like, I wouldn't shock me if Bogdanovic next offseason uh, like, ends up coming back, uh, whereas Alec Burks has that team option. So, you know, I think for me, just looking at it from a front, front office standpoint, you know, maybe Burks is the one who's easier to move because the team could take him on and then just not pick up that option for 2023-24. Yeah, and you also have Kojo that the team obviously trusts. So if you got into a rotation situation after trading Alec Burks, I actually had the exact same answer, so I won't go into it too much. And I had the exact same reasoning, Omari. I was going to go Boyan, but Boyan makes $10 million more. So matching salaries gets a little bit tougher. Not that that's a huge issue, but it's easier to trade Burks at $10 million. And I think the team option is important because if a team traded for him, they have that to keep him around that next season. So they have the option either to keep him for another year if he's playing well or to get that money off the books. So I'm going with Alec Burks as well. I think it's a lot of the names are going to be the same, right? Boyan, Noel, I think Hami and Killian Hayes are both like longer shots, but at least names worth mentioning. But me and Amari were aligned on this one, Wes. Well, and all right, so we're going to go on to the next one. And we did underachieve earlier, so we're going to flip that now. So most likely to exceed expectations. And that would be in regards to fans specifically too. So Most likely to exceed expectations. So I'm going to go with Killian Hayes. Uh, you know, Ooh. I think if he uh, – because like I've, I've said this before, but I don't think – he needs to do a lot to just kind of secure his place at the NBA. And if he did what he did during preseason, uh, like let's say he shoots a touch better from three, right? So he's around 34%, which I think is realistic. Uh, he's getting to the lane. He's getting to the line. Defense is still good. Passing is still good. I mean, at, at that point, is there a significant difference between him and a player like a Derek White, uh, who, again, is not like the most amazing scorer, but, you know, passes well, defends well. Um, played a pretty big role for a, a, a final team. Uh, to me, I think Killian can get there, and I think him getting there and proving that he's a player that the Pistons should keep around long term would certainly prove a lot of people in the fan base wrong. So I just think what Killian has to do uh, to exceed expectations probably isn't as high as a bar as somebody like Kate Cunningham or Sadiq Bay or even Isaiah Stewart. So uh, just based on what we've seen from Killian, I think it's him. I think the guy that I've forgotten about and the fan base has forgotten about, and we've gotten cooked a little bit for not talking about him more. So I'm going to say Hamadou Diallo. I think expectations are really low going into the season. We've built up Isaiah Livers, and I really love Isaiah Livers. I'm not backtracking on anything we've said. I just always said I don't know where the rotation minutes come from, but Hamadou Diallo did have some really good minutes last year. So I think if there's a guy who maybe ends up playing more minutes and providing more value than what I'm predicting right now, and I think a lot of the fan base, it's Hamadou Diallo. The another guy that I just want to mention is probably Nerlens Noel, and maybe this is a little more based just on me. I don't love Nerlens Noel. It kind of depends on the defensive scheme, but I think there's a real world where he exceeds my expectations in terms of how many minutes he plays and how much production he has for this team. And I can see that as well. Um, 
again, especially with Bagley being out, yeah, he's a player who come in and really play a pretty important role for this team. Uh, you know, you have a guy in Jalen Duran who may struggle with foul trouble. Uh, so I think there's probably seven guys on this roster you could make pretty good arguments for. Uh, you know, I also thought about Isaiah Livers, just in the sense that he was a second-round pick, and maybe he can't exceed expectations because, you know, we're in Michigan, and a lot of people watching me college, so uh, maybe he gets maybe more of a boost from that. But I think you have a guy that goes in the middle of the second round, and if he comes out next season and becomes like a really good rotation guy, which I think we all agree he has a good chance at, at doing, that you'll sort of exceed expectations by default for a second-round pick. So, uh yeah, after all, Isaiah Livers as well. Uh, he will probably be my second pick after Killian Hayes. I'll just say, Wes, it, it was hard for this one because before the season, expectations are so high for everybody. It's like, who's going to exceed? You know, because the fan base wants to be so positive. It's a little easier after preseason where some of the negativity has already shown up. I'm glad we did this after the four preseason games and not before them. Well, and since we were talking about Hami too, he would have won this next one last year. Uh, it's the first in the Doghouse Award. <sighs> Most likely to... Or first to be in the doghouse. First um, to be in the doghouse. Yeah. Well, you know, this is going to be a dose of cold water uh, after Bryce picked them for the last question. But I'm going to go with Hami just because of the backcourt situation and also uh, sort of with that quad thing he's dealing with. He didn't get to play during preseason. It hasn't really done a whole lot in camp either. Uh, so it may take some time for him to kind of get into a rhythm uh, once he does get 200%. One thing that'll help him, Alec Burks may not. Um, you know, make his debut on Wednesday. So uh, if Tommy's good to go, maybe he'll have an opportunity to um, cut a car on a row early. But I just think long-term, he's going to have to do a lot to secure um, consistent minutes on this team. You know, with Ivy kind of doing some of the same things he gives you on offense with the addition of also, um, I think, being a really uh, good good passer, you know, and being able to create that pressure at the rim. So it's going to be a little bit more of an uphill climb for Tommy for sure. I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey, and I don't think he's going to last very long in the doghouse, but I think there's going to be a night early in the season where he either plays a little too fast and out of control or defensively he's just messing stuff up or not making rotations or whatever it is. And I think, you know, it may just be for a second half. Maybe he doesn't start and play him the second half, or maybe it's for a quarter, or maybe he doesn't start in the next game. I don't think it's going to be like five games we don't see Jaden Ivey, but I think early in Jaden Ivey's career, I could see Dwayne Casey sending a message and, you know, he could get in the doghouse for a very, very, very short amount of time. And I know the fan base won't like it, but it may be best for Jaden Ivey long-term. So I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey. I like it. I like it because it's different. And It's bold. I wasn't bold last week. I had to come back with some boldness this week, Amari. Yeah, it is bold. Well, Wes was so bold that it, I, like, I thought we were like a reasonable amount of bold and Wes just took it to a completely different level of boldness. Uh, no, like I think Jada's going to have some nice real struggles, obviously. And I won't say doghouse necessarily, but there may be some nights when you look at the box score and he only played 14 minutes. And it's like, what happened? Oh, yeah, four fouls and uh, missed five, uh, you know, three-pointers or whatever, and it just made more sense to go with Killian and Cade. So I could see the logic there for sure. Uh, next one. So this is public enemy number one. This would be someone that the other team's coming in to Detroit, and they're just like, oh, we got to play this guy. So who's that? Public enemy number one. I'm going to go with Blake Griffin. No, no, no. Oh, on, on the Pistons. Other way. Other way. Oh, the Pistons. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, okay. Who, I, okay. Who's, who's that guy for the Pistons? Okay, yeah, because I was thinking Boston, and then Blake comes in like, yeah, he's going to get shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a good really answer well. for that yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I heard it backwards. Oh, public evening. Okay, I would go with – I'm going to go with Killian Hayes, you know, because he, like, he definitely has – like, I think he's pretty divisive, and a lot of people – like, he was a seventh overall pick. So, you know, if he doesn't become Jason Kidd, you know, that, that pick was a complete flop, which I think if you look at the history of that seventh pick, a lot of times it just ends up becoming a pretty good role player, which I think Killian would end up becoming. But I can see that being the case for him for sure. You know, I could just see him not ever quite doing enough to satisfy what some people want. And we've already kind of seen that over the first two years even. So I think he's probably the best pick there. Yeah, I'm going to say Corey Joseph. Like if we're talking about who the fan base isn't going to like, who is going to be public enemy number one anytime he gets minutes, it's going to be Corey Joseph, man. Like I, I just don't – we had – you had this debate the other day on Twitter, Omari. Like you kind of had to defend Corey against Kimball Walker. So if we're looking at who other fan bases aren't going to like, 
and is going to be public enemy number one there, it's definitely Isaiah Stewart. Like, I feel like he always has this rep. And what I love, it's going to be amplified even more because he's knocking down three-point shots on top of being the tough guy. So I absolutely love it. And he's going to be that guy for his entire career. It could also just be, you know, Kate Cunningham if he really does become a killer. and That's true. And the teams are like, oh, crap. Like, you know, Pistons are down five. Okay, it's going to come in and hit it three and get an and one bucket and kind of crush our dreams a little bit. Uh, but with good young players, I think it's tough because a lot of those players tend to have a, a lot of fans around the league too. So curious to see which way he swings. But, yeah, Isaiah Stewart, you know, I think the LeBron James thing last year uh, kind of put him on the radar in that way, like even now when you search his photo, you still might think one of the first Google images is like, you know, him after he was in the fray last year. So uh, I'd agree with that one as well. Speaking of that big fight that broke out last year, uh, we're going to do Mike Tyson of the year. So that's the first little scuffle that pops up. Who's involved in it? Who was first on the Pistons, obviously? Yeah, Isaiah Stewart, he's the only picker. <laughs> uh, he's, he's the one who is, uh, I think, on the floor probably has the most fiery personality. Uh, he's already shown that he's not afraid to get mixed up uh, with opposing players, whether it's LeBron or uh, he even kind of got into it with Blake Griffin a little bit um, when the Brooklyn Nets came to the LCA last year. If Bryce wants to go a different direction, I'm curious to see who he picks, but I think that that is the easy choice here. I went with Hamadou Diallo. Like I just, because of some of the stuff we talked about, if he's not in the rotation and then gets some minutes and I could just see him being on edge just a little bit throughout the season. I also thought about Sadiq Bey, man. Like, Sadiq Bey's quiet, but, like, I wouldn't mess with Sadiq Bey, obviously. I mean, I wouldn't mess with any NBA player. That'd be stupid. But, like, he is – he's a strong dude, and I just – I also think Killian Hayes has a little bit of attitude in him. I think there's some sneaky options on the roster. Isaiah Stewart, definitely the obvious choice, but I'm going to go with Hamadou Diallo. Like, just playing with an edge, somebody rubs him the wrong way. And, and, and Rodney Magruder as well, right? Like, he's been – you know, had some trash talk. So, but I'll go Hami. I'll go Hami. All right, cool. Well, so next one, best shooter. Who's that going to be? Best shooter. I'm going to go with Isaiah Livers. And he's going to have some competition from Burks and from Bogdanovic. But it wouldn't shock me if Livers ends up being the most accurate shooter on the roster uh, next season. And I think he's maybe not the obvious pick because, again, Boyan career 39% percent, uh, Burks career 38%. Yeah, I like Livers. I think I think it wouldn't shock me if he ends up shooting around 39 40% for the entire year. I really do think this would be sort of a breakout year for him as far as the NBA respecting him as one of the better two-way players. Yeah, I had him on my list and I put this would be ideal. I mean, if he ends up being the best shooter on the team, I think that's a really good situation for the Pistons and Isaiah Livers. You said Boyan. How about Kevin Knox? We didn't talk about him and a guy that could possibly exceed expectations. He looked good in his preseason minutes. I don't know that he's going to get the minutes. Uh, you know, history says that even though the shot looks good, he hasn't been super efficient with it. But I just think it'd be fun if he'd come out and all of a sudden he just has a, you know, resurrects his career and is banging shots the way the the jumper looks like he should be banging shots. So um, I, I'm with you, though. It's Livers or Boyan, maybe Alec Burks. But I wanted to throw Kevin Knox's name out there. We hadn't talked about him enough on the pod. Well, now we got to get a little bit of an obscure one because it would be our podcast if we didn't get really technical. So who's got the best box out? The best box out. Yes. Hmm. You know, I think I would, like, for some reason, I feel like it could be a guy like a Nerlens, but I haven't watched a lot of Nerlens, so it's tough for me to pick him. I'm just going to go with Isaiah Stewart. Like, I think he does everything with effort. And Darren, you know, we've seen some good box out for him. We've seen some not great ones. But I feel I feel like uh, Bryce is going to give, like, a really coaching answer, and it's going to be, like, a guard, like, just somebody I'm not thinking of right now. Man, you know me too well, Amari. I'm going with Corey Joseph because yeah, you know what Corey Joseph does? You know what Corey Joseph does and why he's in at the end of games at times? Because when there's a rotation and there needs to be a rotation to the weak side and get a box out, Corey Joseph makes that rotation. He gets inside of the offensive player and he gets that box out. So the best box out of the year, if you really watch, is going to be Corey Joseph. He's going to get a weak side rotation. He's going to get a box out in a huge moment. And then Kate Cunningham or somebody else is going to hit the game-winning shot. But Corey Joseph is going to have the best box out of the year. I knew it. I was like, he's, he's going to pick Corey or Killian Hayes or somebody. Like, I could just feel it. Uh, next one. So we got to name a lineup that will absolutely get minutes, but that fans are going to hate that it got minutes. <laughs> um, I'm going to lead off with Kate Cunningham, uh, just off of the blow. 
And then Corey Joseph, Rodney Magruder, Sadiq Bay, and Nerlens Noel. That is the the veteran special with uh, Sadiq Bay mixed in. Because if I said Boyan, I think it would be rubbing it in too much. But we're going to see a lineup that I think features Rodney Magruder, Corey, and Nerlens. And you can add whoever else with the other two spots to make you feel better. But, you know, Rodney and Corey get the job done. There'll be nights when the young guys aren't doing it. And Dwayne's like, I'm just going to prove a point like you have to do the small things to stay in the game, whether it's boxing out or whatever else it may be. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that at points over the season, I think. Um, maybe not that. Maybe not for a lot of minutes, but there will be times where we do see it. We even saw it during preseason. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right with that. I just put a couple combinations. Marvin Bagley the third and Nerlens Noel, I think, will share the floor together this season. And there's not going to be a lot of floor spacing with that front court, and fans are going to absolutely hate that. And then I'm just any lineup with Corey Joseph. The fan base hates Corey Joseph. And so any lineup with Corey Joseph is going to be hated by the fan base. But I think Corey does not deserve to hate. He doesn't. I just want to say that. He is like, he's such a good guy to talk to. He's such a nice guy. Uh, You kind of touched on it earlier, but I really didn't understand the part of Pistons picking Corey over Kemba. It's like they're not really picking anything. They acquired Kemba because they had to to get Duran. So the point of that trade wasn't even necessarily to get Kemba. But. Corey shot really well. He plays with a lot of effort. He's a great mentor. You know, I think people kind of misplace their anger sometimes. Like, you know, if you think a rotation should be different, that's not a Corey problem. That's a Dwayne problem. But I digress. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I agree. Like, I think we should give Corey some love because the thing is, I, I would assume Kimball wouldn't accept the role that Corey is in. So that's why Corey Joseph over Kimball Walker. Like, let's give Corey credit for being in the league as long as he has and saying, hey, I'll let all these young dudes play over me and then I'll play whenever Coach Casey needs me. So you you need vets like that. I have no issues with Corey. Like, yeah, he, he does a little too much at times. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a perfect player. I'm not saying that at all. But yeah, he does get a lot of hate for, and that's why I always love to bring him up because I just like to to troll a little bit. <laughs> I've learned I've learned that from my almost two years on Twitter now how to be a troll. So doesn't take much. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It yeah. didn't. Take, it didn't take two years to figure it out. That's for sure. Yeah. So, all right, Wes, we got a few more here. We got to get to. So uh, this is this is a Pistons fans classic right here. It happens every year, but it's the Peyton Siva Memorial bench warmer that everybody just absolutely loves. Never plays, but people want him to get minutes anyway. Who's that going to be this year? Who will that be this year? That used um, to be Luca Garza. Used to be Luca Garza. I was going to say it may still like it may still be Luca Garza. Like I've seen at least one person on Twitter say, "Hey, the Pistons appears need a big man. Why don't they give Luca Garza a call?" And it's like, no, they're not going to cut somebody to sign Luca Garza because that's what they would have to do. I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone on this team who's going to have the place that Luca Garza had in in fans' hearts last year. Um, like I'm trying to think of who the 15th man would even be on this roster. And there's just so many guys that I went Magruder Amari, but okay. I don't think the fan base likes Magruder. So like, I'm just going with like, maybe they accept him this year. It could be Kevin Knox just because when he does get some minutes, he shoots the ball well and plays well, and then he doesn't get consistent minutes, so the fan base is always wanting to see more of him. I could see being between the Rico Hines run and what he did in the preseason, I feel like he has really endeared himself to the fan base already. So I think the answer right now is probably Kevin Knox. I like that one. Uh, I mean, he he did look pretty good um, against the Grizzlies, and I think that once the Pistons get a lot of their wind depth back, uh, they probably will need to play Kevin Knox as much. And you have fans who say, uh, this kid was the ninth pick four years ago. Like, he should have a row, yada, yada. So I can see that for sure. Um, I would also say Jalen Duran. You know, if he falls entirely That's out of the true. rotation once yeah. Marvin Bagley comes back, we may not see Jalen Duran as much. And then, of course, a lot of people will say, what's the point of trading for this kid if we're not going to play him? Because uh, if he doesn't play as a rookie, of course, that would do him for the rest of his entire career. Uh, you know, it's a make or break year. It's not a make or break year. Um, yeah, I think Jalen Duran's probably my pick just because once they get that big man rotation healthy, they won't have to play Duran per se. It'll just more so be situational or when opportunity comes. So, yeah, him or Kevin Knox, I think you can make a great argument for. I wouldn't argue against either of those. Yeah, that's a good call on Duran. Last two, uh, Bruce Brown of the year. Guy that only plays defense, but everyone really loves him because we're Detroit. Guy that only plays defense, but everyone loves him. This team has like four guys who play de- who who play defense. So I'm trying to. <laughs> According to my Twitter poll, yeah. we only have two or three. Yeah, so a defensive guy that everybody loves. I'm going to go with Isaiah Livers. Uh, I think he just has a really likable personality. Uh, I do think he has a chance to become a net positive on defense this season. 
I mean, I think he shoots it better than Bruce Brown, but uh, defensively, I think that could definitely keep him on the floor, even when the shot's not falling. So Isaiah Livers. I went Braxton Key just because I do have some group chats and people that really like to push the Braxton Key narrative. And, and I understand it. I'm not necessarily on board, but I could see, you know, we saw some preseason time. I, I think he, if there is a role for Braxton Key in the NBA, I think it actually is the Bruce Brown role actually offensively and defensively. So I've thought Braxton Key best fit this superlative. Um, I don't know how much we actually see him play, but if there was a guy that really fit into this, it would be him. Uh, by the way, I'm really excited for this last question because I know a lot about this last question. Good luck. Yeah, we've been talking about the best fits for all these, so now we're going to do a league fits award. Self-explanatory. Omar, are you first? Yeah, I'm going to go. There's a few guys I could go with. I'm going to go Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I think he, you know, of, of all the guys on the team, I think he takes fashion pretty seriously. And I could give Killian Hayes. Can I pick two? I think I'll go Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes. I think they're two of the more, I think they're two of the more fashion forward players on the roster. You know, I think they'll pr- go pretty hard in that area this season. I'm also curious to see if we see a, a leap from Cade Cunningham. We kept things a little bit more simple last year, but he's been in the league a year. And, you know, a, a lot of times you see guys start to dress a bit more as time passes. So that's probably my, my ranking. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Isaiah Stewart. I care as much about what these guys wear before the games as the jerseys they wear during the games. So my answer a is going to be a little. A lot. A lot, yeah. My answer is going to go to, I know James Edwards III thinks he has the best fit. I know we got Mike Curtis on the beat. I know we got Brandon Dent on the beat. But my guy, Omari Sankofa II, has the best fit and is going to end up on NBA League fits this season. So my answer to this question is Omari Sankofa the second. Yeah, I like that. I'm wearing a Nike hoodie right now. You know, I'm about to flesh up my Nike hoodie collection to, to fit this one. No, I'll take it. I'll take it for sure. I'll put some microscope on me. So, you know, now I'm going to have to step it up a little bit more. But I accept that challenge. I like it. There we go. All right, guys. Wes, thank you so much, man. I I appreciate you putting those together, everything you do, and love it whenever we get your voice on the pod for everybody to hear. Next week, we finally get some real games to talk about. You guys have a great week. Enjoy those games. Omari, take it away, my guy. Yeah, uh, we have finally got to the regular season, so a lot of fun stuff to talk about coming up. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us throughout season at training camp. Uh, You know, we have some fun ideas, and now we can get back to the bread and butter of talking actual hoops. Uh, so shout out to our editor, Kerry Jr. II, our executive producer, Nesjadet Delgado, and our executive producer, Kirkland Crawford. Also shout out to Wes, uh, who did not answer these questions he came up with, uh, which we're grateful for. So he got to have his cake and eat it too by not being ducked on on Twitter for saying things that are never <laughs> controversial. So uh, great episode for Wes. I will talk to you all next week.